Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Thank you, guys. It is a, an honor and a privilege to be with you today and uh, to serve in, in this house. And uh, I, I'm excited. Uh, we've been in a series um, this summer uh, focused on, on, on Elijah, on, on how God uses ordinary uh, people to do extraordinary things through them. Now, last week, Brian, Brian preached on uh, how Elijah was fed and watered at a brook, um, a stream of water during this drought. And I'm literally just picking up where we left off in 1 Kings chapter 17, where after he was uh, in this waiting season, God then sent him to the next part of the journey. That's where we're going to spend our time today in 1 Kings chapter 17. And I'll read verses 8 to 6 together. We'll just go through the story and then we're just going to walk through it together and learn what God has for us in his word. So it says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks. And he asked her, Would you please bring me a little water in a cup? As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread too. But she said, I swear by the Lord your God, that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, there will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Now, there's, uh, I think, a few things that we learn from this scripture that we're going to focus on today is that we learn who God uses, what he asks of us, and what he promises us in return. So who God uses, what he asks of us, and what he promises in return. So who God uses. Elijah was sent to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath, as we've been learning a little bit over the last little while, was a, a place where uh, Baal worship was commonplace. Uh, King Ahab, uh, his wife Jezebel, came from this same area, and she brought that idol worship, the, uh, the god of Baal worship, into Israel. And this is the very place Elijah is sent to be provided for, a place that is far from God. Now, now Baal was, as we've been learning, uh, believed to be the, the god of, uh, of rain and dew, he was the God of fertility, that there was a fulfillment uh, and crops and healthy families and healthy children. He was known as the, the rider of the clouds, and he was often pictured as a, a bull or a statue. Now, we might say, you know, in this day and age, well, that sounds primitive, you know. Here we are, we're, we're much more advanced than that in this day and age, um, thousands of years later. We're a, we're a modern society. 
you know, how, how naive they would have been back then. But you see, it wasn't just the physical statue that they worshiped in this day. It was the economic promise that was attached to it. Baal and all these other gods mentioned throughout the Bible and throughout history, they were worshiped for what people could get out of them. So there was kind of a, you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. It's a, an acknowledgement of the gods so that they would help you, so that they would provide for you. So values and moral standards didn't really matter. It was just about your personal success, your family's personal success and pleasure. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, The Problem of Pain, said, we don't so much want a father in heaven as we want a grandfather in heaven. We, we, we don't want the discipline and the stern, you know, sometimes love of a father. We want a, a benevolent, senile, sometimes grandfather. Not thinking of anyone specifically, I'm just saying generally. Uh, who, who wants to bless his children, who gives us what he wants, who gives us the ice cream when we ask for it at 10 o'clock in the morning. We know that uh, the scriptures say that God is a, a jealous God. Now, we sometimes think of this word and we think of a negative connotation attached to it because God says that we shouldn't be jealous and that it's a sin. But there is a, a holy and righteous, just like the fear of God, that there is a, a, a God is jealous for us. He is jealous for his people. Not, not, let's say you think of fear, that we were to fear God, not because he's angry with us, but because there's a, a holy awe, a, a reverence, and a, a fear of God, a respect for who he is in our lives. And God doesn't want us to have any other gods in our lives. He wants all our affection and our love. It's more like marriage, if you consider it. Um, you, your spouse wants you and you alone. Um, she doesn't want you to have any other people before her. This is the place that God sends Elijah in the middle of a drought. And where is Baal? Baal's supposed to be the one that keeps the streams full, the rivers flowing, the crops going, the, the rain coming down. It's supposed to be his sweet spot. This is where he operates in provision. And he's silent. Baal is silent. The land is dry. This is the spiritual barrenness that any other gods in your life provide. You see, evil practices never go away. They simply evolve. The thing that we're chasing, the thing that we're looking to fulfill us, will leave us dry, empty, and dying of first. Let's pick up where Elijah meets the widow. So in verse 10, he says that he sees the widow, okay? She's gathering sticks. And he says, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? Now, as she was going to get it, he called to her, bring me a bright bite of bread too. This is our first recorded instance throughout history of the phrase uh, being used, hey, while you're up, while you're getting a little bit of water, can you, can you bring me a bit of bread too? Come on. You, I, I knew you were going to learn something today. That's, this is factual. You search the Bible. It's, I, I did. I spent a lot of time. Now, I think it's funny. If you, if, you, if you look at this, he says, bring me a little water in a cup. She responds and she's obedient. She goes to do it. 
And it's as she was going to get it, he asked for a bite of bread. For some reason, the, the water wasn't as much of an ask as the bread was. Now, there's probably differing opinions. I think perhaps maybe they had a, a different uh, definition of what a little water in a cup means. If you think of it um, for my own life, my kids and I have a different definition of what a little water in a cup is. Uh, at bedtime, they um, you know, decide to crawl out of bed and say, I just need to get a little bit of water. And I say, a little bit of water in a cup. And of course, they come back, it's full to the brim and overflowing and spilling on the way. And they won't have another sip of that water until I dump it out the next morning and it sits on the bedstand. So there was a different definition. Now, here's a little bit of insight into the widow's situation. We know she was very poor. Uh, she's out gathering sticks. There was, there was a drought. There was a shortage of water. There wasn't a shortage of, of wood. So she didn't even have firewood to cook with. She had no husband. Um, there was no one to uh, help provide for the family. It was just her and her son. Uh, she would have likely have been uh, a Baal worshiper, perhaps on some level, that she is in this culture. It's uh, predominant uh, in their world and in that land. And we can uh, recognize a little bit of how she says, she swears by uh, uh, Elijah's God. She doesn't swear by her own God. She swears by Elijah's God. She doesn't, have, she doesn't identify with Yahweh God. She's aware of him, but she doesn't identify with him. Now, earlier in this verse, in verse 8, God says that I've instructed a widow there to feed you. Now, this word instructed, uh, there's a, a few synonyms for it used in different translations and in the dictionary that says that uh, it means appointed uh, or, uh, or ordained or... Um, uh, sort of like this idea of a command or a orders given to or a charge given to. And I think that might, the word appointed, be a better definition of it because, you know, it wasn't this, uh, you know, sort of step-by-step -step instruction that she had. And we realize this because when the uh, widow sees Elijah, she doesn't say, oh, yes, you're the man I've been waiting for. God showed up to me in a dream. Uh, he said something like, you're going to have some food, so let's eat. Are we ready to do this? It doesn't happen. It wasn't in an obvious way because she wasn't aware of what was happening. God had already started working in her life before Elijah showed up on the scene. God had already appointed her to play a part in the miracle of provision that was going to come for Elijah the widow and her family. She was unaware that God was going to do something incredible. This is the ordinariness of life, the ordinariness of people that God loves to use. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 29 says, Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. I think that's the end of the verse. Or no, is there more? As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. So the question today for us, I think, is, has God appointed us without us knowing it? Has God started working in your life before today, right? Has God appointed you or laid charged to play a part of a miracle that's about to happen in your life? Consider what the widow was on the precipice of. 
Now for the widow, death was right around the corner. This is the lowest point in her life. She's for probably about a year watched as what little she has dwindle day after day after day. Stepping outside and looking up into the sky to see if there's any clouds. Is there any sign of rain coming? Is there any sign that my circumstance will change? Is there any sign that something's going to be different than it was yesterday? Because we're running out of stuff here. She would watch as her, her own hands and arms and body would deteriorate, eating hardly anything, and watch as her own son would slowly lose his life, waiting for her and her son to die. She's on the, um, on the doorstep of death. There's no more of her own provision. There's nothing that she has left except for this little bit. She's resigned herself. She says, we're just going to make this meal and then we're just going to wait to die. And this, this moment is where she encounters God. In the height of her spiritual and physical distress. See, God reveals himself most to us when we're at our lowest points often. Isn't that the truth? I know I can say that in my life. When we recognize our need for God, this is who God uses. You see, as long as we're our own provider, as long as we're master and commander of our own lives, we have not submitted our lives to God. We don't really need God. Sure, we love him for what he gives us and, you know, when he provides, hey, come on, thanks God, he did what I want. And It's not until we recognize our spiritual poverty when we're emptied of ourselves, that is when he fills us so completely. It's our worst trials that make way for our greatest blessings. So what does God ask of us? If we go to verse 13, he says to her, go ahead, make a little bread first, but then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. Now he makes her a promise. He says, this is what the God of Israel, the God I serve, this is his promise, that there will always be flour and oil left over until the time when the Lord sends crops or the rain for the crops to grow again. So Elijah was like, yeah, yeah, I, I hear your plan. You're going to make a little, you know, bread, a little meal, and then you're going to eat it and die. Like, I get that. I hear that. Go ahead and do that. But, but first, before you continue on with your own plan, make a little bread for me first. There wasn't really supposed to be anything left. It's like we're having a communication problem here. I told you I just have a handful, little oil, just making this, and then we're going to die. I'm a poor widow, and you want me to give you, like that's, you look like you have a little more meat on the bones than I do. <laughs> Elijah was, was a, it represented God to her. God wanted the first. God is saying, 
I want what's mine. I want you. I want your trust and your affection. I want that little that you have to go to me first. And then I will provide for you on what's left. Trust in me. Will you believe in the promise that there will always be enough? Will you be able to let go of that first fruit and release it to me? The key was her obedience. Her obedience was connected to the promise. Now, it didn't make sense for her to do this. It didn't make sense. There was scarcity. There was lack. But God blesses the first. Now, she could have disobeyed, right? She had a choice to make. She could have said, you know what? That's great. It's really good to meet you. But I'm just going to go ahead. I think, you know, that's your God. Not, that's cool. But we, we kind of serve a different God. And, and it's, I'm sure he's going to come through at some point. She could have done that. And she would have fulfilled her own plan, her own strategy, and she would have cooked her last meal, and her son and her would have died, slowly wasting away. She had a choice. And that day she had faith. She believed in something that she couldn't quite see, that she couldn't quite grasp. She had heard stories, perhaps, in the day of this Yahweh God, the God of the Israelites, the God that frees from captivity and sets people free. But she did not believe in him at this moment. Something within her, part of this instruction or appointment that God was working in her life through the years, something within her said that, I'm going to be obedient to this, even though I don't understand what's on the other side. I'm going to, by faith, take a step and see what happens I'm going to believe in that promise. Even though he's not my God right now, I'm going to believe in that promise that you're telling me that your God will provide for me and my family. Now in verse 16, it says, there was always enough flour and oil. There was simply enough of what they'd already been using. God didn't provide a storehouse and a stockpile of food and grain in this newly built barn that, you know, he gave her. He didn't provide a feast of all the finest foods like that. He simply gave her each and every day a little bit more oil and another handful of bread. You see, this little bit more is how God calls us to rely on him day by day by day, that each day by faith we come down to the pantry and say, okay, it's a new day. God, is there going to be anything left? And there is always just a little bit more oil in the jug and a handful of flour because he wants us to continually rely on him and not become our own God, not become our own provider. He wanted her to have participation big word here, participation in the miracle. God wanted to have participation in the miracle. Charles Spurgeon said, God indeed chose this woman, but he chose her for more than a miracle. He chose her for service. The choice of this woman, while it brought such blessedness to her, involved service. She was not elected merely to be saved in the famine, but to feed the prophet. She must be a woman of faith. She must make the little cake first and afterwards 
she shall have the multiplication of the meal and the oil. So the grace of God does not choose men to sleep and wake up in heaven, nor choose them to live in sin and find themselves absolved at the last, nor choose them to die and be idle and go about their own worldly business and yet win a reward at the last for which they never toiled. Ah, no, the sovereign electing grace of God chooses us to repentance, to faith, and afterwards to holiness of living, to Christian service, to zeal, and to devotion. Are, are you waiting for God's provision and God's breakthrough in your life? It's a tough question to ask ourselves. But have we been obedient to what he's asked us to this point? Have we been able to give him what's first? Have we been able to give him the little bit that's left of the oil and the bread? All that we have left. And the miracle in our lives, while extraordinary as it is, appeared to be quite ordinary to those perhaps on the outside. It's simple continued provision in a dry land. And this provision was for a season. It was enough until there was a, a time frame, until the Lord sends the rain and the crops grow again. Apostle Paul said that, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret to living in every situation. The secret to living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. God chose an incredibly ordinary person to do God's work. And he does it so that he can provide for you. See, otherwise, until that happens, we're always putting something else in front of God. We're always putting something else first. Without knowing it, we could be saying no to the participation of the miracle. And we could be saying, we're going to do our own plan. And we are delaying God's supernatural provision in our lives because we want to follow our own strategy and our own plan. And God says, no, 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 no. Yeah, go ahead, do that. But before you do, I want what's first, what's left. And for us, that's everything. It's at all. God wants us to trust and believe that he is God. Now, if you think that you're here today and you're too broke or too broken, I got good news for you. You're right where God wants you. You're exactly the kind of person that God uses. An ordinary person, or in the widow's case, somebody who was very likely far from God, didn't even identify with that God. She'd heard stories about it, but she never had a personal relationship enough to say that, that's my God too. You see, God appoints you, he instructs you, and he asks you to trust in him. It's quite fascinating. Uh, about 700 years later, uh, there's a story in the gospel, gospel of Matthew and a few of the gospels, about how Jesus is at this well. And uh, the disciples go into the town and, and buy food. And, and here's Jesus sitting at the well, a little thirsty. And there's a Samaritan woman. They didn't 
really get along these days. And this woman um, was also far from God and, and she's there. And Jesus asked her for a drink. He asked her for a little water from the well. And she says, well, why are you asking me? Like we're, for you to even address me is so unbelievable in this day and age. And he says to her, anyone who drinks from the water in this well will be thirsty again. Anyone who drinks from the well of culture, from the well of addiction, from the well of their own selfishness and what they want, what they desire, will be thirsty again. And he says to her, if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who you're talking to, then you would ask me for water and I would give you living water. And then Jesus said, those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is saying that the same thing that Elijah says 700 years later as a prophet, an ordinary person, that he's saying to us today, he says, you're waiting for God's provision. You're waiting for a moment where now I'll believe or now I'll step forward in faith. And God says, I want you to take what you have. I want to take what you're holding on to. I want you to give it to me. And we say, well, God, well, hold on. No, no, no. You don't understand. You don't understand. There's, there's hardly anything left. We've been waiting for the miracle. We've been waiting for the breakthrough. We've been waiting for the provision. I've been counting on this God, Baal. And he hasn't shown up. And God says, I want to be the breakthrough in your life. I want to be the provider. Will you, by faith, release what you're holding on to and give it to me first? God requires our obedience and our participation so that he can bless us. He wants to bless you, but as long as you're leading yourself, he can't. As long as you're holding on to what belongs to the Lord, you will be lost and dry, searching for another thing to fulfill you when the only thing that will is the living water that Jesus Christ our Lord gives us. And you have a decision today, as this widow did thousands of years ago. Will you give it to him? Or will you hang on to it? We see the result very clearly. If we hang on to it, there is a slow, painful death, wasting away. Or by faith, we say, I don't really know. I don't really understand, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to be obedient to what I believe your God is saying. I want him to be my God too. And then there is simply enough day by day by day of God's continued provision spiritually and physically in your life as you continue to rely and trust upon him. It won't look like you want it to sometimes. And thank God, because if it did, we'd probably die. If God gave this woman what she may have wanted, a whole bunch of food all at once, she would have been attacked. She likely would have been killed for the food because everyone else was starving, everyone else was hungry. God is so good and loving as our heavenly father that he gives us enough until, enough until the rain comes again, the season that God has you in. 
He wants to sustain and provide you. And we just have to make a decision to say, yeah, I release it to you. I make a choice to give it to you first. He couldn't or wouldn't do the miracle on what was left. He did it on the, the first. That's what God says to us today. This is God's promise to us. That if you consider the reality that God has appointed you before today, and he may not show up in just the way that you think he will, but he has already been working on your heart to come into this gathering today. He's already been orchestrating and organizing everything, instructing and appointing, laying charge to, commanding you to say, will you give me your heart? Will you give me everything? Will you trust me? Will your affection be for only me or it will be for all these other things that will leave you dry and weary? We have a choice to make for God's provision in our lives. Let's bow our heads together. There's anyone in the in the room today, we do this every week, just to respond to what God's doing in your life. If you're here today and you say, I want that provision that you're talking about. I want that bubbling spring within me that overflows. I want a relationship with Jesus. If you're here today with every eye closed, with every uh, head bowed, I just want you to lift your hand in just a second and just consider in the same way that this widow took a step of faith and an obedience and then God did the miracle in this same way that she went forth. I'm not going to pull you up. I'm not going to call you forward. But if you just want to say, hey, Andrew, can you pray for me today? Can you include me in your prayer? Maybe I've walked with God, but I've walked away. It's been a long time since I've been in church. If you realize that I want this water, I'm thirsting spiritually and physically for this gift that Jesus Christ gave. That I've heard the story again and again and again. But today, I want to make a commitment or a recommitment to, to Jesus Christ in my life. If that's you today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just raise your hand right now and just say, include me in your prayer. Anyone here, just shoot your hand up real quick, put it right back down. Amen. See that hand. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else today, just say, include me in your prayer. I'm not going to call you out. I'm not going to call you forward. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for your continued leading in our lives, Lord. Lord, help us to remember to put you first in all that we do, Father. I pray that there would be an increase of faith, Lord, for each and every person here. And God, for the people that raised their hand today, God, to, to invite and accept you in. We just say, dear Lord Jesus, come into my life. If that's you, you prayed that prayer, just say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. I release it to you. Jesus, my name. God, we thank you for what you're doing in Love City Church. We thank you for what you're doing in this new season. We love you, God, and we know that you will continue to provide for our church and for each and every person, God, as we put you first and we're obedient to you. In Jesus, mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.